Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hare, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Dig Dug. Do you happen to know what color the box was that Dig Dug came in? You will know the answer to that after listening to this episode. Now, before I get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Well, welcome back to Sprite Castle. First of all, I want to say thank you for all the feedback from the last episode. Uh, I do plan on continuing the show. I do plan on trying to probably put an episode out every other week. Uh, I'll probably alternate between this and You Don't Know Flack for a while. I might throw in an episode of uh, Multiple Sadness here and there, but uh, You Don't Know Flack and Sprite Castle are um, the, the bread to the butter. My bread and butter? The bread to each other's butter, the butter to each other's bread. I don't know. Man, it's early in the morning. I'm hungry. <laughs> Talking about bread and butter. Uh, but I wanted to say thanks uh, for all the feedback. Um, thanks for uh, those of you. I did not really, I truly did not expect uh, uh, anybody really to send uh, in the donations, but there were uh, several of you who did. It's greatly appreciated. I plan on ordering some. Uh, noise deadening tile. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I have this idea, uh, to build maybe like a little recording booth to put out here in the workshop. If you don't know about the workshop, you should listen to, uh, last week's episode, you don't know flack where I talk all about the, uh, workshop that I had built in my backyard, which is, uh, half a workspace, a work area, and the other half is a movie room slash lobby, and that's where I am recording my shows from right now. But there's still a little outside noise. It's pretty close to a, a major road, and there's uh, window air conditioning units, and there's some sound that comes in. There's also a refrigerator out here. There's some sound from that. So I would like to kind of build a little sound-deadened area, and um, that uh, is, is where those funds are going to go. So thank you so much for supporting this show and supporting my podcast. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. I think the biggest news uh, in the Commodore 64 world for me over this past week was the discovery of Joust. Now, this is a story that has made the news rounds. You may have already seen this. And I even wrote an article about this, which I posted on uh, popcultureretrorama.com, which is Vic Sage's. It's kind of the uh, spiritual, I guess, successor to the Retroist. I know the Retroist is still around, um, but uh, there used to be kind of a group of people that contributed to the Retroist website, and uh, and and the Retroist website has changed. Uh, it's kind of reverted back to where it's just one person's site, and that's okay. And and he has some great posts, and obviously does uh, a podcast that has inspired lots of podcasters over the years. But um, uh, a lot of those people that used to write for the Retroist have moved over and are now writing for. Uh, uh, pop culture retrorama, and I contribute there every now and then. So I did write an article about the discovery of Joust, but um, Joust, uh, Atari Soft. We'll talk a little bit about Atari Soft later in this episode, but Atari Soft was releasing games for other systems, mostly Atari games, but sometimes non-Atari games. And uh, in the early '80s, they were releasing those for other, you know, competing computers and consoles. 
And Joust is one of those games that was developed, was released for many different platforms, but never saw the light of day for the Commodore 64. And the story behind this was that it got caught up in the closure of Atari Soft. So it was scheduled to be released in, I believe, mid-1984. And before that happened, Atari Soft closed down. So that game was never released for the Commodore 64, even though it was released for most other platforms, like most other Atari consoles and the Apple II all got official Joust releases, but the Commodore 64 never got one. And so uh, this this uh, fellow, and, and you can read either on, on uh, Vic's website or I will add a, a link in the show notes to the story. Uh, this was uh, originally posted on Games That Weren't, which if you don't read that website, that is a website that is des- uh, dedicated to tracking down games that were, six, uh, you know, it, some of them were, they were never released. But some of them were a little more than maybe an ad or, uh, you know, mentioned in an interview all the way to people saw them running and playing, but they never made it to store shelves. And that was the case with Joust. People saw it playing at a, a computer show at a, at a electronics convention, but it was never released. And so long story short, a archivist was, uh, had, had connected with someone who worked with the programming team uh, that was doing a lot of those conversions for Atari Soft, and found an eight-inch floppy disk uh, in CPM, no less, that actually it was not labeled correctly and had the source code for Joust. And so this was supposed to be released at the Midwest Gaming Classic, which I was planning to go to this year, and it's been canceled due to uh, COVID nineteen and, and um, you know this this whole year just seems like it's been put on hold. So hopefully there'll be a, a convention in twenty twenty one. I hope so. I was really looking forward to attending that, but uh, it's unfortunate that it, it, they've had to cancel and so many great events this year have had to be canceled or, or uh, postponed. But they were going to debut Joust sixty four or Joust for the Commodore 64 at that show. But now that the show has been canceled, the uh, compiled binary was sent to gamesthatweren't.com and has been released. So again, I will put that link in the show notes. But it was supposed to be released 36 years ago. No one has seen this game for 36 years. And all of a sudden, it's out there and available for download. And uh, I've played it. It's a pretty good version of Joust. Um, I I wonder, I don't know if it was 100% complete. It seems 99% complete. The only thing that I noticed with it is that the... AI for the enemies doesn't seem to be like, I, I didn't notice the uh, enemies changing levels. Like if there was one flying across the top level, it always stayed on the top level. It didn't seem to go down to the middle or down to the bottom. So it was more almost like lanes of birds that had to be defeated. But, uh, but it's still a really good version. Uh, and uh, uh, so you should definitely check that out. It's a free download. Again, I'll put that link in there. Uh, another news story this week, and this is not... I try to keep the news Commodore 64 specific. There are lots of Commodore computers. There are other websites uh, and podcasts dedicated to those other computers. So I try not to encroach on other people's news stories. But I do have to mention that uh, the Vic 20 has been announced. Now, the Vic 20 is the successor to the 64. And the 64... 
I suppose you could say, is the successor to the uh, C64 Mini that came out. Now, uh, the C64 Mini, if you will recall, was a scaled-down version of the Commodore 64. Uh, it it uh, has a piece of hardware in there. I believe it just runs Vice, so it runs an emulator. But it uses SD cards, and uh, I did a show. I did a whole episode about the Mini C64 on SpriteCast, so you could go back and listen to that episode. The 64, which, by the way, terrible name. Like, I get it. It's, you know, if you want to say the Commodore 64, the C64, but it's so difficult when you're searching Google or talking about it to differentiate between, uh, you know, like I have a Commodore 64 in my computer room, and which I would call the C64. You know what's going to go next to it? The the 64, <laughs> I guess I would say. So I would talk about the 64. The C64 and the, the C60, I can't even say it. Um, but um, the Mini Commodore 64, the C64 Mini was released uh, first over in the UK and then got a release, a later release in North America. The 64, God bless America, the C64 <laughs> is the full-size version of that, and which has a working keyboard. And, I mean, from 10 feet away or to someone that's not uh, looking at close details, it looks exactly like an original Commodore 64. Uh, when you start looking at the ports on the side, you would notice that instead of joystick ports or traditional 9-pin joystick ports that has USB ports. And if you looked at the back, you would be really shocked to see HDMI output <laughs> and a small USB port. Uh, port for power. But it has only been released in the UK. And what no, I won't say it's only been released in the UK. I will say it's been released everywhere except North America. Like you could get it in Italy, you could get it in the UK, you could get it in all these other uh countries, but you can't get the one that defaults to NTSC. And I believe I don't know I I don't know if it's different. I don't know if the actual hardware itself like between the uh, C64 Mini that was released overseas and the Mini that was released here. I don't know if the actual firmware or code is different. I don't think it is. But the packaging uh, is, you know, has the North America packaging versus uh, different boxes that were, that were more common overseas. And so the issue with the C64, especially in the U.S., is you can't buy one. Uh, I tried to buy one recently just to see what would happen on Amazon, uh, Amazon, the U.K. Amazon, and it says we won't ship it to you. So you can't import it. And I have had a couple of listeners contact me and say, hey, we could probably work out, you know, I'm sure I could send them the money. They could buy it and ship it to me. But uh, but the company, Retro, uh, gosh, Retro Games, I believe it is, uh, keeps promising a North American release of the C64, and I keep waiting. I keep putting this off, putting this off. Now, I've mentioned, I think I mentioned this in the last episode of You Don't Know Flack, uh, that there are 8 million ways for me to play Commodore 64 games. Like, I have a real C64. Um, I have uh, an SX64. I have uh, Raspberry Pis that have C64. I have a Mist with the C64 core. There's lots of ways for me to play Commodore 64 games. So not owning this is not preventing me from playing Commodore games. I also have the C64 Mini. I actually have that hooked up right now. Um, but 
I really want one. I want that keyboard. I want, you know, just to set that out on the desk and have it, you know, it seems like a super convenient. I'd like to have that HDMI output on a full-size Commodore 64. So when Retro Games announced uh, that they had big news coming, I thought for sure it was going to be the C64 release in North America. But instead what they announced was the VIC-20. Now, the VIC-20 looks just like, well, I, this is difficult to explain the differences, uh, because the Commodore 64 case and the VIC-20 case, except for some very minor differences on the back, uh, and the color look identical, right? The, the VIC-20 is that very white, very, very light color. And the Commodore 64 is more the, the beige color that we all know. Um, the, uh, the interface, when you boot up the C64, that's called a carousel, and there's a carousel that contains 64 different games. Well, if you look on the C64, most of the games are, uh, I believe all the games, uh, I think, are Commodore 64. Now I'm doubting myself, but uh, you could go into basic, but you could also go into uh, you know other kinds of modes. And so the VIC-20... I believe is very, very, very... In fact, I think the guts may be identical, except for the carousel has been modded. So, uh, modified, I should say. So there are mostly VIC-20 games, but there are Commodore 64 games still listed in there. So I think it's the exact same thing, more or less with a different interface. So uh, I contacted the company to try to get a... Uh, demo unit to do a review, but I, I they said thank you for your interest, and I haven't heard anything back, so I don't expect to get one of those. I can't order one, so I don't really have any way to, to put fingers on the keyboard and do an actual test like that. So I got to tell you, if one was sitting on a shelf right now, I probably wouldn't buy one. I'm not a big VIC-20 guy. I'm a big Commodore 64 guy, and so I'm just really waiting for that North American release of the C64. And and uh, they have announced on their Facebook page, that seems to be the best way to get news updates from the company, that when they release the C64, the North America one, that they're going to be taking pre-orders and that they're really trying to gauge interest based on those pre-orders. So if you want to get one of those, it seems like it might go fast. I don't know, but I will definitely be putting in on a pre-order for that. So anyway, the VIC-20 is uh, out there for order for people that are not in North America. <laughs> if you are in other countries, you could get one. So if you do get one of those and uh, want to share how that is eventually when, when they do ship, I'd be interested to hear, but uh, probably not on my order list. Uh, I had two, since the release of the last episode, I had two different people contact me. Um, one is uh, Dave, and gosh, Dave, I hope I don't butcher your last name. It's either Z-I-L-L-E, but it's either Zeal, Zile. I'm just so bad with names. You know, I mean, I'm terrible with uh, names of people from other countries because I, I'm just uh, not that good at pronouncing people's names. But even ones that are here, I'm like, oh, Mr. Johnson. Oh, it's Johnson. <laughs> I'm a dummy. Uh, so uh, anyway, Dave contacted me about the um, bare metal C64 or BMC64. Uh, I don't. This isn't a brand new project, but it's one that I hadn't really looked at before, and it is the bare metal 
version of the C64. Now, really what this is is a, a build device that has been modified to be installed directly on a Raspberry Pi without Raspbian or another operating system on the Pi. So basically, the Commodore 64 and Vice becomes the only thing that's installed on this. So it doesn't boot to an OS and then boot to Vice. It really just boots directly to Vice. And because of this, it has better control over the hardware. So there seems to be less uh, uh, delay, less lag for certain things. They seem to have better scrolling. Uh, the scrolling's a lot smoother, and they say it's it's smoother for both PAL and NTSC signals. So... Um, if you're looking for a more authentic experience than just, uh, you know, playing Vice on your computer or maybe Vice on a, a Pi or some other thing like that, you might look into the uh, BMC64. Uh, I also, not only was I contacted by listener Bobby Moore, I received a package from Mr. Bobby Moore. Now, if you... Uh, are in retro circles. You listen to other retro podcasts. I'm sure you've seen Bobby's name. Uh, he, he's been a big supporter of not just my podcast, but lots of retro podcasts. And Bobby reached out to me and offered me a Pi 1541. Now, if you're not familiar with that, it is a, um, basically it, it is a Commodore 1541 disk drive that runs on top of a Raspberry Pi. So you take a Raspberry Pi, and then you have another piece of hardware that plugs into the top of it with the uh, serial port connection, and you can put SD cards in here or whatever and hook this up to a real Commodore 64. Um, so I guess you could say it's a um, less expensive version of the 1541 Ultimate. I don't know as far as compatibility goes, I think it's super compatible. Um, I'm just now starting to run it through its paces, but man, is it cool. And, and, um, I feel like, like there was a time where I thought, um, I would only do authentic Commodore 64. Like all these other things were coming out. This was a long time ago, but I just, you know, I wanted a real Commodore 64 and a real 1541 disc drive. And that's what I was going to do, you know? And all these things that are coming out, I, I mean, I've had disk drives die over the year. I've had Commodores die over the year. I, I don't think this hardware is going to last forever. I think some of it can be easily repaired. You know, if you have a, a belt snap on a disk drive, there are people you can replace a belt. If you have capacitors that explode, there are people that can replace a capacitor. So there are certain amounts of things. Um, even when chips die, you can salvage chips from other systems and, and mix and match and get working systems again. But I eventually, I'm afraid that all these things are going to die. They just weren't made to last. You know, nobody in the early 80s thought people would be playing Commodore 64s in the 90s or the 2000s or the 2010s or 2020s. You know, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of this little computer. And, you know, in my lifetime, I wonder, will we still have working machines? Will we still have ways to play this? So the Pi 1541, those types of things are extending the life of our hobby. And I love it so much. And uh, I just wanted to take a second to thank Bobby for mailing that to me. I really, really appreciate it. It was a really cool thing to do. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, like, I, I've tried it, and it works. What I want to do now is do some other testing on, you know, seeing uh, how much, how many things work or if there's anything that doesn't work. But, man, it's convenient. And, again, I, I'm really grateful that you sent that to me, so thank you. 
Um, this week uh, marks the end of Reset 64 Magazine's, gosh, why, how do you say this? 4K craptastic game competition. So uh, that the name is misleading. That doesn't mean that the games are crappy. It just kind of means that they're quick and dirty games, you know. So they can they don't have to be big giant opus games. You know, they might be just small little arcade games. But there's a lot of fun stuff there. I will add a link in the show notes to where you could go get these. But this is a yearly competition, and you could go download all the... I, I forgot how many I saw in there. There's like 30, 40 games that, that were entered. But you could download these all in one pack and sit there and, and play through them and go through. So um, I, I've said it before. I will say it a million times. We are so blessed as fans of the Commodore 64 to have people still writing games and releasing them for free. There are obviously games uh, you know, being sold, too. And I do think it's important to support programmers and companies that are releasing commercial Commodore 64 games as well. But uh, the amount of free games out there is just overwhelming. You could... It's just crazy to me. Uh, I'm so grateful that uh, that's happening. So if you want to go download uh, those uh, and check those out, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I did see a couple of new releases. Uh, one is a 1941 and a half, which is, uh, if you're familiar with the old shoot 'em ups uh, the airplane games, 1941 and 1942. Well, this is 1941 and a half. I guess this happened halfway in between those two battles. Um, and uh, it, it's really good. It is a vertical type shooter, and, and if you like those type of games, uh, it's worth checking out. Also, there was a new release called Ghost Town, which uh, I believe was a game that existed for other Commodore platforms, maybe the Commodore 16, I'm not sure, but it was ported to the Commodore 64, and that has been released, and updated versions have been released for the Commodore 16 and for the Plus 4, so that's uh, another new release this week. There's been some other stuff. I'll push some, new, some more new releases uh, back to the next episode. Uh, but anyway, those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just broke up a fight between my two neighbors. Am I great or what? Now that we're done with this week's news, let's get to this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. I have to tell you about a chain of restaurants that is near me, and they are called Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. That is their official title, although we just call them Freddy's. Uh, you can go to freddysusa.com to find locations near you. By the way, this episode is not, spe- <laughs> not sponsored by Freddy's USA, um, but uh, you could go there and uh, see if there's locations near you. Now, they kind of specialize in hamburgers. Uh, their menu says hamburgers, steak burgers, hot dogs, and patty melts. Um, they also have those really skinny, I think they're called like shoestring fries, uh, and they have this Freddy's sauce, which is really good. Um, and there are multiple Freddy's near us. I will tell you a funny story about uh, Freddy's. When you go into Freddy's, there is a cardboard cutout of, I guess, Freddy, <laughs> the guy that started the restaurant. And years ago, uh, we went to one, and I took a picture of my daughter next to the cardboard cutout, and I posted it on Facebook and said, uh, how fortunate are we that we got to meet Freddy, <laughs> the founder of Freddy's Restaurants. And um, 
I guess people didn't realize it was a cardboard cutout. And so there was a million responses from people uh, saying how lucky we were. And I finally had to tell people, you know, look at it again. It's just a cardboard cutout of Freddy. But anyway, I'm not talking about Freddy's uh, hamburgers or hot dogs or steak burgers or all those things. And I'm trying to lose weight right now. And it's really difficult because I live pretty close to a Freddy's. But what Freddy's is really known for is their frozen custard. And they have uh, multiple different kinds of desserts on their menu. And each of them can be ordered as a Sunday or a concrete. So a Sunday is, you know, in a bowl with a spoon, and then a concrete is basically mixed up like a shake and <laughs> served in a cup uh, with either a spoon or a straw or whatever. And they have multiple different ones. They have a Hawaiian, they have a turtle, um, chocolate brownie delight is a pretty good one, but those are not the ones uh, from this episode. The episode for this one is called Dirt and Worms, which is one of their six choices. And the Dirt and Worms is vanilla. I was going to say vanilla ice cream. It's obviously custard, vanilla custard. And there's Oreo cookies and gummy worms. And they mix it in there so it looks like just a cross-section of dirt with worms in it. And uh, it's really good. <laughs> uh, it's really delicious where, you know, it's like you're eating uh, you know, cookies and, and ice cream mixed together with gummy worms in it. But, uh, uh, you know, it looks like you're eating dirt. Obviously it's probably designed for kids to do this and have a good time, but, uh, as adults, it's not too bad either. I will say I looked on their website and they offer it in a small, medium or large, and those are 570 calories, 900 calories and 1380 calories. <laughs> So I suppose if I, I could eat one of those a day and just not eat anything else, and that would be <laughs> my daily food. That would be – God, that would be a pretty good diet though, wouldn't it? <laughs> You're like, well, what did you have today? I oh, just some dirt and worms. That sounds good. Uh, but anyway – uh, obviously, the reason for that snack that I picked for this episode is because we're going to be talking about Dig Dug, which is also a game where there are no worms, but you do dig through the dirt. And that was a terrible segue. But here we go with this episode's game, Dig Dug. It isn't termites. It isn't mice. It's Atari's Dig Dug, the earth-shattering arcade game. Dig Dug digs his own mazes. He digs for balloon men. He digs for dragons. And now he's digging his way into homes everywhere. Dig Dug is under this world. Dig Dug was developed by Namco Limited and published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Atari Soft. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls. Atari Soft was a subdivision of Atari who specialized in porting uh, arcade games to home video game consoles and computers. Uh, and what made them unique is that they also ported those to all of the competitor systems as well. Some of the Atari Soft arcade ports, there's so many. Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Robotron, Battlezone, Donkey Kong, Moon Patrol. Uh, I'm just looking through the list here. Centipede, Pole Position, Joust, Defender, Stargate, Crystal Castles, Galaxian, Jungle Hunt, and Track and Field. Atari Soft also released some games that were not arcade ports. They released Gremlins, Seamus, 
Picnic Paranoia, and lots of other games like that. So Atari Soft was very active for the two years they were in business. All of their games on Moby Games are listed between 1982 and 1983. In early 1984, Atari Soft was closed. So as I mentioned in the news, that's why we Commodore 64 owners did not get joust. So Dig Dug was part of the original golden age of arcade games. The original game was released in 1982 in arcades. And so even if those arcade machines are gone, the game certainly has not been forgotten. It was revived recently, uh, I said recently, a few years ago on Stranger Things. It was part of a, a plot where uh, Max, one of the characters, was playing Dig Dug and putting her initials in the machine. So, uh you know, there are still Dig Dug references today. There are Dig Dug slot machines that were released, which are really cool. You could find those on uh, YouTube. You can find video of those. The Some of the characters from Dig Dug appeared in Wreck-It Ralph and its sequels. So, um, yes, Dig Dug uh, is still, even though the game is almost 40 years old, uh, is still part of social conscience today. Um now, Atari Soft, as I mentioned, released games for multiple different systems, and the design of their boxes were very uniform. They were a solid color. They had the game's name printed in all capital letters diagonally across the front of the box, and then the upper right-hand corner of the box looked like it was peeled away, and inside you could see artwork or the characters from the game. But what a lot of people didn't realize was that the color of the box represented what system the game was for. So all ColecoVision games by Atari Soft came in an orange box. And television was pink. Apple II was red. The VIC-20 was purple. IBM PC was blue. The ZX Spectrum was turquoise, and the TI-99-4A was yellow. But all Commodore 64 Atari Soft games were released in green boxes. So, there's your answer to your trivia question. This did come in a green box. Uh, again, it has uh, it's completely green. The top right corner is peeled back. You can see Dig Dug underneath that little section. It says Dig Dug in capital letters diagonally across the cover. Now, in Germany... Uh, apparently this had a different cover when I looked on, uh, looked online. I found artwork that looked like it used the side art from the uh, arcade cabinet and, uh, it was released by Datasoft. So in other, uh, that may be a, a later budget release. I'm not sure just, you know, because it was in a different region, but the, uh, the Datasoft version, uh, looks a little bit different than the Atari soft one. This was released on cassette, disc, and cartridge. So no matter how you loaded games on the Commodore 64, you could definitely get your hands on Dig Dug. Uh, after starting the game, you will be greeted with a title screen, which is also the menu screen on all Atari Soft games. There's a single screen. Uh, you will see the Dig Dug logo in uh, 3D type text. There are the two enemies presented. You'll see those, which are Puka and Figar. 
you have your options on that are uh, programmed into the function keys. F1 starts the game. F3 toggles between one and two player. Now, this is a alternating game, so you don't play simultaneously. It would just be alternating between player one and player two. F5 changes the difficulty level, and you could go through 10 different difficulty levels. So if the early levels are too easy for you, you can ramp that right up. And then at the bottom, it says copyright 1982 Namco and 1983 Atari. Now, this game's controls are pretty simple. You can move in any of four directions as you move Dig Dug through the layers of dirt, and the fire button shoots your air pump, which you will need to use to inflate the enemies uh, and explode them. There are a few uh, extra keys built in the Commodore 64 version. Spacebar will pause the game. Restore will exit the game and go right back to the main menu. Uh, also, it is important to note that Dig Dug uses, uh, this is an early game, and some early games were like this. It uses a joystick in port one. So if you're trying to use this on something like the C64 Mini, which defaults to joystick port two, you'll need to modify that. Uh, there, there's ways to do that, but you'll need to modify that to look for uh, the joystick in port one. So the goal of the game is to clear each level of all the monsters while scoring as many points as possible. Uh, again, there are two enemies on every screen. There are Pukas and Fygars. Uh, Pukas are the little small round guys that wear goggles, and Fygars are little tiny fire-breathing dragons, I guess? Um, one thing to remember about Fygar is that he only blows fire left and right. He will not shoot fire up and down. Um, now, this is related. You actually get more points, and I'll talk about this shortly, if you kill or over-inflate uh, Fygar from the left or right, because it's more dangerous to do. Uh, so if you're trying to play it easier, you want to attack him from the top or bottom. If you're going for points, you want to get him from the left or right. Uh, so as you move through the dirt in Dig Dug, you are digging tunnels through the dirt, and f mostly the monsters will stay in those tunnels. Now, eventually, they will turn into ghosts and can float through the dirt, and they will basically make a beeline towards you. Now, if they enter another tunnel, they will stop being ghosts and turn back into their monster selves, but uh, you're not always safe if you're in a tunnel, so sometimes... Uh, as you lay out, you know, your own maze. And this is interesting because this game was actually designed as a maze game, but the developer said, we want something like Pac-Man, but where you make your own maze. And so that's an interesting way to think about this game. So as you move through the dirt, you are creating your own maze for the monsters to follow, but they don't always have to follow it. Again, sometimes they will just turn into ghosts and float in between the levels or they will come through the dirt and make a beeline for you, and you'll have to uh, outmaneuver them. You know, really what the easiest way is to make more tunnel, and then when they hit the tunnel, they turn back in because they, they can't be killed uh, when they're in their ghost mode. So uh, Now, it does take a few pumps to explode them, and so uh, if you're trying to group them together, again, we'll talk more about the scoring, but if you're trying to group them together, one uh, technique to use is to inflate them once or twice without exploding them, uh, and then they will slowly deflate, but while they're deflating, they can't move. And so you can kind of stack them, if you will, uh, by inflating them once or twice and then continue to move. Uh, and then you could lead the monsters and try to get like a chain of monsters. And, and you want to do this because... Uh, 
there are also rocks on every level. And so uh, when you drop rocks on the monsters, the more monsters you could kill with a single rock, the higher the score is. Again, a lot of this refers to the, the scoring, which I'll be talking about in, in just a second. Now, one other important faction of playing each level of Dig Dug is that uh, bonus items will appear. Now, some people seem to think that it's just random, but it's not random. The bonus items appear after you drop the second rock on each level. So uh, you definitely want to make sure that you drop those rocks. And after you drop the second one, you want to head towards the center of the screen because that's where the bonus item will appear. And as the levels increase, those bonus items uh, increase greatly in score. And so you definitely want to try to get those if you're going for a high score. So I've referenced score like 9 million times. So let's talk about the scoring in Dig Dug. Right off the bat, you get 10 points for every square of dirt that you tunnel. <laughs> I was going to say eat. You don't really eat the dirt. But as you tunnel through the dirt, every square that disappears is worth 10 points. So it might not seem like a lot, but you can rack up some points if you're really going for a high score by clearing out as much dirt as possible. Now let's talk about those bonus items that appear in the center of the screen. Again, after you drop the second rock, a bonus item will appear. Uh, the game starts with carrots, which are only worth 400 points. And there's only one bonus item per level. Then you go to turnips, which are 600. Mushrooms are 800. Zucchini is 1,000. Eggplants are 2,000. Peppers are 3,000. Tomatoes are 4,000. Garlic is 5,000. Watermelons are 6,000. And pineapples are 8,000 points. So if you could get to that point where you're getting the watermelons, you'll really start racking up the scores. Um, also, when you explode the enemies, how deep you are in the maze or in the dirt uh, increases the score. So if you pop one of the two enemies on the surface or in the top level of dirt, you will get 200 points. But if you move down in each level of dirt, I'm assuming you've seen Dig Dug, but each level of dirt is a slightly different shade of brown. So the second level down, that number goes from 200 to 300 points. In the third level, it's 400 points. And in the bottom level of dirt, your enemies are worth 500 points. Now there is a bonus. If you explode a Figar from the side and not the top or bottom, then the points double. So if you're down on the bottom level, think about this. If a Figar is about to escape and he's on the very top level and you pop him from the bottom, you'd only get 200 points. If you're down on the very bottom of the maze, it would be 500 points. And if you get him from the left to right, that will double to 1,000 points. So again, these are um, not hints or techniques that will get you further in the game necessarily, but are good ways to build up a, a high score if that's what you're going for. Uh, now, again, uh, you also could get uh, points by dropping rocks on the enemy monsters. If you drop a rock on just one monster, that is worth a 1,000 points. But if you could stack two monsters, it's 2,500. Three is 4,000 points. Four monster is 6,000 points. And then these are listed in the scoring, I mean, in the manual. Five monsters is 8,000. Six monsters is 10,000. Seven monsters is 12,000. And eight monsters would be 15,000 points. Now, first of all, you have to get pretty far in this game just to see a level that would have eight monsters on there. And getting all eight of those guys lined up would be a pretty impressive feat. But... Again, if you're going for points, I guess that's a technique you have to work at. Uh, extra men are earned at 10,000 points and then every 40,000 points after that, which means I usually get two extra men. 
<laughs> Sometimes three. <laughs> That's about where my scores are. Uh, if you're going for a high score, RetroComputerScene.com uh, on their high score list uh, has the C64 high score listed at 224,000. 270 points. But the Commodore 64 Wiki has a score of 764,700 points. That is a lot of figars. <laughs> that is a lot of popping. Uh, I have no idea how long it would take you playing Dig Dug to actually get that score, but that is a super impressive score. So good luck shooting for that one. I have found a lot of different trivia on uh, Dig Dug, and so I just thought I would throw it in here uh, towards the end of the episode. Uh, number one, there is a Dig Dug theme. Uh, the music, and and I don't know if this is to save... I always thought this was an error, but I don't believe it's an error because the arcade game does it too. But the theme only plays when you're walking. And so it is this little song, you know... Welcome to Sprite Castle, a show in which I play, review, and impersonate arcade games. Uh, but there is this catchy little tune uh, that plays, but only while you're walking. And so, uh, I don't know, it seems weird at first. It almost seems like a bug. But like I said, the arcade version does the same thing. And so I guess that's that's just the way it is. Um, now, here's a trivia fact for you. Dig Dug's real name is Taizo Hori. That's something not everybody knows. Uh, not only that, but he is the son of Susumu Hori, who is the star of Mr. Driller. So Mr. Driller is Dig Dug's father. Who knew that? Now, apparently in the PlayStation 2 Namco X Capcom game, and also the Nintendo DS game, uh, Mr. Driller, Drill Spirits, those both reference uh, the fact that uh, Mr. Driller is Dig Dug's father. Now, this is a, a pun that I don't, I mean, obviously doesn't translate, but apparently Taizo Hori is a pun on a Japanese phrase, which is, Horitaizo, which uh, if you look at it written, you could see how they it's kind of like reverse, like two words are uh, swapped. But uh, that phrase actually means I want to dig in Japan. And so you reverse those two. And then that's how you would get Dig Dug's name. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, Dig Dug has made uh, appearances in Wreck-It Ralph. He has made appearances in Stranger Things. But uh, the characters of Dig Dug have been making appearances in games ever since the game was released in the early 80s. Um, in games alone, Puka appears in Pole Position, Galaxian, Sky Kid, Pac-Man World, Mr. Driller, Mrs. Pac-Man Maze Madness, Mario Kart Arcade GP, and lots of other games. Games. Uh, he's very recognizable. Puka might be the most recognizable character in the game. It's that that round orange color with the yellow, you know, yellow goggles. Uh, it's just even more so than the Dig Dug character. It just says Dig Dug. Um, I mentioned that he uh, that Dig Dug was featured in Stranger Things. Dig Dug has been featured on Robot Chicken. It was referenced on Parks and Rec. Uh, it was in Game Over, which was the documentary, documentary uh, that featured Ernest Klein. He's wearing a Dig Dug shirt. It was uh, referenced in Dumb and Dumber 2. It was in the episode of Futurama called Reincarnation. Uh, it was on Community. So, I mean, Dig Dug is still being referenced today uh, on IMDb. 
I looked up Dig Dug. It says it was referenced in Never Say Never Again. It was in a X-Files episode called Unusual Suspects. Obviously, it was in King of Kong and Chasing Ghosts. So uh, Dig Dug is here to stay. Again, it's one of those games from the golden age of arcade games that has never left us. So uh, we love Dig Dug. Uh, According to KLOV, it sold 22,228 arcade units by the end of 1982, and that is just in North America. It grossed $46.3 million in revenue. So uh, Dig Dug was a very popular game, which, of course, leads to the fact that, uh, or, you know, why people are still referencing it and remember the game today. Uh, Also, something that a lot of people don't know is that like Pac-Man and like Donkey Kong, Dig Dug is another game that has a kill screen. Now, if you don't know your arcading history, uh, kill screens most often come up because 8-bit arcade games, unfortunately, used uh, counters often in the 8-bit, you know, so think of uh, uh, binary and an 8-bit number, so zeros and ones. The highest number you can have would be eight ones in a row, one, 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 which is 255. So in many classic arcade games, Weird things happen when you get to level 256, like when the maze breaks in Pac-Man, right? Or when Donkey Kong, when Mario just automatically dies uh, and you have the kill screen. So uh, there is a kill screen on level 256 of Dig Dug. And because of the way that the counters work there, uh, when the game, when that level starts, there's a puka that starts out right on top of Dig Dug and it just automatically kills you. So... Uh, that's, that's as far as you could go in Dig Dug. Now, the one thing I didn't see is if that kill screen only affects, uh, the arcade version. I don't know for a fact if that, uh, if that kill screen, uh, is in the Commodore 64 version. So if you are better than me, by the way, I could get to about level 15, (laughs) So I have 230-something levels to go. But if you can get to level 256, you let me know if that kill screen is in the Commodore 64 version. Um, This game was highly reviewed, very positive reviews when it came out. And over the years, reviews have really cooled down. Uh, Info Magazine in March of 84 gave this 100%, five stars. Uh, Zap Magazine the next year in 1985 gave it 54 out of 100, and they docked points for uh, the sound. They docked points for the value uh, based on its price, and they said they called it a conversion of an aging arcade favorite. So in 1985, Dig Dug was seen as an aging arcade fa- uh, favorite. Today, in 2020, it's seen as a classic Golden Age arcade game, and people love Dig Dug. So they might have been on the wrong side of history uh, in 1985. Sorry, Zap. Uh, Lemon64, the review on there also gives it a 6 out of 10. Now, I a lot of the reviews that you see that are not really glowing reviews of this all say the same thing, which say this game is simple and that it, it doesn't age well because people like more complicated games. Well... That may be true today. Back then, this was a great game. Uh, it's maybe simple, but the whole golden age of gaming, I think, is 
can be described as that cliche phrase that I've said a million times, which is games that are easy to play but hard to, to master, easy to learn, hard to master, however you want to say it. Uh, you could walk into an arcade, look over someone's shoulder, and look at Dig Dug and understand how to play it. Oh, you got to pop those guys. Oh, you could drop those rocks. Oh, I mean, that's it. So it, you know everything about Dig Dug that the people that hold the world records know about Dig Dug, right? Other than, you know, uh, be good at it <laughs> or be great at it, right? So there's not uh, a mastery of the buttons. There's not complicated combos. There's not all these things. It is a super simple game to play. So we should all be great at it. Uh, and we're not all great at it. So to me, that is what makes this game so great. It is easy to understand, but all those things you have to do to build that score up, right? Like stacking monsters and building tunnels in just a way where you can drop the rock and coming up with your own patterns for each level. Those are the things that make it hard and make it replayable and make it a classic, you know? Uh, I love, I've said this before, I love games where every time when I die, I go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Versus when I die in a game and I go either... A, that wasn't fair, or B, what just happened? <laughs> Which is what I say a lot when I play games. Like, ah, what just happened? Uh, I'm dead. And so, uh, you know, for me, any type of game where it's I can get better, where I can uh, keep playing and learn new things and stuff, that's what makes uh, games like this, games like Dig Dug, make them classics to me. If you want to play Dig Dug today, boy, are you in luck, because <laughs> there are 1,900,000 bazillion ways to play Dig Dug. Uh, this game was ported to the uh, Atari 2600. It was released on the PlayStation 4. It was released on everything in between those two consoles that has a screen and a joystick, and even some things that don't have screens. Well, no. <laughs> Let me dial that back. That's stupid. Uh, things that don't have joysticks, right? It was released uh, for the Palm OS, for example, and for the BlackBerry. So uh, if you want to play it today, obviously you can play it in MAME. MAME uh, emulates Dig Dug, I would say, essentially perfect. Uh, there's a version of Dig Dug available on Steam. It is on the Nintendo eShop. It is on the PlayStation Store. It is on the Microsoft Store for the Xbox One. Uh, I mean, you can pretty much get this on any system, old, new, or in between. So uh, now I will say this. Um, I looked at several different 8 bit versions of Dig Dug, and I truly believe that the Commodore 64 is the best version. It looks better than the Apple II version. It looks better. If you look at the colors, it's way more accurate than the Atari version. I mean, the Atari 800 version. Obviously, it looks better than the uh, Atari 2600 version and the Atari 5200 version. The Commodore 64 blows it out of the water and, and anything that's below it in television, things like that. This just looks so much better. I think this is the best 8-bit version of the game. And I wouldn't say that for every game. This isn't Commodore propaganda or anything. I'm literally looking at the screenshots, and I think this is the best version. The one thing that keeps it from being perfect for me is the aspect ratio. Now, the arcade version of Dig Dug has a vertical monitor, and a lot of those classic games had vertical monitors, which means uh, if you took your TV and turned it sideways. So the screen is much taller than it is wide, and that's how this game is designed. So I don't, I guess they didn't think people would like that type, you know, uh, retro game developers wanted to fill as much of the screen as possible, and that, I mean, that makes sense, but that's why things like Pac-Man don't look right because 
the maze originally was tall and skinny, and then on your TV it's wide and not as tall, right? And so Dig Dug does suffer from that same, um, I don't know what you call it. I don't want to call it an error, but um, so when you look at, and, and it's not just the Commodore version, it's all versions of Dig Dug uh, on home systems until the, the much later ones where people you know, got over widescreen and things like that. But uh, every old version just wanted to fill the entire screen. And so instead of being as tall and skinny, uh, dig dug on the Commodore 64. And again, all these eight bit versions, uh, fill, you know, they're, they're more of the uh, portrait. No, not portrait. They're, they're landscape. So they're super wide and they're not as tall. And some of the characters look more stretched, um, and so, you know, that's the only thing that I don't really like about it is that it doesn't really have the same layout as the arcade version. So, um, but, but they're all like that. So that, that's just kind of the way it was. Uh, if you want to play this on a real Commodore 64, obviously, uh, this is, is the ROM is out there. Um, and it's a super easy game to emulate. If you want to own an original, I found a loose cartridge right now. Uh, for $20 on eBay, and that is with shipping. There is a, a new-in-box version, the Atari Soft with the green box, for $200 on eBay. That seems a little crazy. Um, the flat, there's a, uh, uh, the Datasoft release, which was not in a big box. It's just flat, and it has uh, the floppy disk in there. There's one of those for 40 on eBay, and then there's just a loose floppy on eBay right now for $15. So uh, some of those prices seem a little high. Some of them seem really high. Um, but, uh, you know, there are still, this is one of those games that uh, was was sold for years. Everybody had it. So there are lots of copies flying around. So I wouldn't uh, bite necessarily on a super expensive version. Cheaper versions are out there. Uh, now let's get into my personal memories of Dig Dug. Well, first of all, when I think of Dig Dug, uh, I don't necessarily jump to the Commodore 64 version. I think about arcades. Every arcade had Dig Dug. This is one of those games that was in every arcade. Most retro arcades today still have Dig Dug. It's just one of those iconic games. Um, I think for me... For the arcade version, not only is it the game, but the cabinet is that classic Atari-shaped cabinet. First of all, Atari cabinets, super heavy, (laughs) super thick, man. Uh, If you've ever moved an arcade cabinet, you know. I mean, you can feel like you'll pick up a cabinet and you go, oh, it's not too bad. When I see one of those Atari ones, and I've moved several, I've owned several of them, when you move those things, you know it's an Atari cabinet, man. Those things are thick, and they are heavy. I would say... This is just an estimate. I, I don't really know, but I have uh, cabinets. I've owned cabinets that probably weighed 100 to 150 pounds, maybe somewhere in that range. I think those Atari cabinets are like 250 to 300, uh, you know, definitely over 200. They are just super thick wood uh, and, and solid, man. So whenever you see those cabinets, even when they've been converted into something else, when I see it, I immediately go, oh, yeah, yeah it's a, that's an Atari cabinet. Uh, so when I met my buddy Jeff in seventh grade, and this was 1985, he already owned his Commodore. We uh, had an SX64 that we had in my my parents' uh, 
computer store and I was vying and I did shortly afterwards get my own Commodore 64 that went into my room. Um, but the difference, you know, I, I had other friends too, like my buddy Andy, his, his family had a Commodore 64. So a lot of my other friends that I met had Commodore 64s and in North America, everybody had a disk drive. Nobody had a data set. Uh, and if they did, it wasn't for long. Everybody was, was, uh, disk drive centric, right? Um, but Jeff was the first person I met that had cartridges and he had several, Atari, uh, Atari, I guess I would say Atari soft cartridges, um, but uh, he had a lot of Commodore games on cartridge. He had, I remember he had Buck Rogers, I remember he had Wizard of War, and I just remember thinking this was weird because for me, uh, you know, computer games, the advantage of computers was that you could download games for free, so I was like, why is he spending money on cartridges, you know? But uh, uh, he did have Dig Dug, and his copy of Dig Dug. He must have got secondhand from somebody, and the plastic uh, casing had come apart, and someone had put two bolts through the plastic with with uh, like a bolt and a nut on the backside. And I remember it was sharp. I can tell you it's sharp because I own this cartridge. I own that cartridge. Um, but uh, when you would put it in, uh, you know, if you didn't do it right, you could scrape your knuckle on the the little bolts uh, because they were sticking out on the top side of the cartridge. So uh, I don't know. Why I don't remember the details why, but uh, Jeff has gotten rid of his Commodore 64 over the years. Um, but I do have that cartridge. I have his version of Dig Dug that had those bolts sticking through it. So um, when I see that cartridge, obviously I think about playing that over at his house. Um, the smaller games on the Commodore 64 didn't have quite as long loading times as other games did, right? Like like games that took up an entire side of a disc. Um, so when you got a disc version of, uh, you know, these Atari soft games, Dig Dug, Pac-Man, uh, Donkey Kong, those things, they didn't take that long to load. And I think this might've been a time before, uh, we had fast load cartridges. So it might take a minute or two to load, but cartridges were instant. You can put a cartridge in, turn the machine on and boom, there's the game. And so I think that was one appeal of owning the cartridges. So it kind of made it seem more like, um, you know, to compete with, gaming consoles at the time, like Nintendo, right? So that was a tough sell. If your friend had a Nintendo and he put in uh, Dig Dug and turned it on and it came on and then you wanted to play Dig Dug and it had to load for two minutes first, it kind of seemed uh, inferior, I guess. But if you have the cartridge, you would plug it in, turn it on, boom, it would go. And then, of course, later with fast load or, or other fast loading cartridges, it loads much faster. So, um, But that's really... Um, Kind of what I thought about uh, when I think about Dig Dug, I think about that specific cartridge with the bolts. I think about cartridge games in general. Uh, and again, those early Atari Soft games uh, really helped sell the Commodore 64's image as a game playing machine. You know, uh, I, I could say it, but you could go look. You can look on Moby Games. Go look up Dig Dug, and you can look at screenshots from all the different versions. The Commodore 64 version looks better than the – obviously, it looks better than the uh, DOS version that came out. It, But, you know, you can look at the uh, Coco. You can look at the Atari computer. You can look at uh, the Apple, all those different ones. And by far, the Commodore 64 version looks best. And so, um, you know, that kind of, like I said, sold – the Commodore's uh, reputation as being a game machine, you know, of, of uh, having great color and great sound and, and all those things. So it was definitely Atari Soft helped 
build that reputation for the Commodore 64. So for graphics, I got to give Dig Dug a four out of five dirt clods. I don't. I would give it a five out of five if the aspect ratio was the same as the arcade game, but it's not. Uh, for music, I'm gonna give it a two out of five. I mean, it's not bad. It's very repetitive, and again, it's that annoying thing that it only plays when Dig Dug is walking. Sound effects, I give it a three out of five. The sound effects are not great, but they're not terrible. They are pretty authentic to the arcade game. Uh, but overall, I'm giving Dig Dug four out of five. I don't care about these new reviews that kids are giving and saying that it's boring or old. You come back with a score of 200,000 or 700,000 and tell me this game is easy. This game is not easy. It's a blast to play. So get out there, fire up your Commodore 64. You want to do a, a little bit of gaming to show your friends off what gaming was like in the early 80s. Throw in some Dig Dug and get to digging. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send feedback about this game or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast, or leave me a voicemail on the Flag Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the podcast.robohara.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.com, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flats, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Amazing, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to pumping and digging, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>